Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Tristan. I'm so happy to welcome you guys to the Novus Podcast. This is a podcast that's going to change your life. I need you guys to watch all the way to the end. But first, hit that subscribe button, share this with a friend, like and comment. Let's get into this. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 20 of the Novus Church Podcast, guys. It's been literally 20 episodes. This is wild. I'm so excited. Um, today, guys, I have an amazing man of God. He's an author, uh, a speaker, a uh, pastoral counselor for Bethel Church. He He's an amazing man. He's a president of his own ministry. I'll have him go into that a little bit. But y'all, he, like, I've seen his teachings online, a little bit of them, but he's got something on him that I just had to speak. I had to reach out to him and be like, hey, I need you on my podcast. This is something big. So y'all, I want to introduce Ray Light to you guys today. And uh, Ray, welcome. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. I really do appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to have you on. Right. Yeah, man. This is going to be fun. And uh, and I have been putting this together. And I guess I guess I'll just finish up, like because uh, you mentioned that I can share. But I am, I am president of Faith by Grace Ministries. But that's not really the thing. I, I'm an identity coach. I just I really my calling is to help people get to know themselves and be able to live out the truth of who they are in Christ. And and that's just my specialty. So I focus on who we are in Christ and, and allow you to be free. That's my specialty. And, and you know, if you're ready, it's up to you. If you're ready, I can jump in. If you have anything you want to go, okay, all right. So I'll just jump in and I'll let – basically, I, I want everybody to know, just so you guys know that this is a fresh revelation that I'm working on. And it's not a refined message, right? It's just not. I, I'm – I'm going to give you a glimpse into my process of like how how things happen for me. And, and as a matter of fact, we were talking before we jumped in, you know, I have um, I, I have a biological disorder. I'm diagnosed with bipolar two. So I have some thinking patterns that are interesting, diagnosed with ADHD. So I have some some thinking processes that happen that might be different than yours. And I'm just letting you know how to I'll show you a little glimpse, a little window into how I process how I get things from the Lord and how I process them into um, into writing because I've written five books now. I'm working on I'm working on uh, my sixth one right now, and that's where this message comes from. So, so I'm I'm studying love for volume two of my Who Do You Think You Are Bible study, and basically when I start, and I'll, I'll kind of break out with you at some point what that what that is and how that worked. But when I start looking at a topic i'll dig into it man i don't i don't know how you are tristan but like i i will dig into it and beat till it's a dead horse you know what i mean i i will dig into that scripture and everything i can find on that topic so when i'm doing that and i'm looking at love i was looking in the scriptures everywhere i could find about love and what love is what love is not i start breaking it into subsets i start breaking it down and that's how i did my original bible study when when i started doing the original bible study i started focusing on who we are in christ because what happened was in a vision i had a list of scriptures that i used in real life i'll jump around a little bit here but I had a list of scriptures that I used that everywhere I could find the truth of who we are in Christ, I had that list and I would teach from it. And I'd speak it over people and prophesy over people with it. And one day in a vision, God walked over and handed me that list and he said, make this a Bible study. And I had no idea how to do that. I'm not, I was dyslexic growing up. I cheated my way through school. I barely graduated. I, I'm, 
you know, I'm not trained. I still can barely, I, I can barely spell because I didn't understand phonics because I couldn't read, you know. And when I came to faith, God healed me of the dyslexia, but he didn't backfill, right? So I didn't get all the backfill of the experience and all that stuff. So I can read much easier now, but I still spelling and all that is difficult for me. So there was never an expectation, literally never an expectation of me writing a book, not even a concept of that. And so, so with that though, I, I didn't know what to do. And I share all that with you, let you know, I didn't know how to write a Bible study. I didn't know how to start, but what I did is I just started. I took the next step. I trusted God. And what happened is I believed God that he told me to do it. So what I did is I started digging into all those scriptures. Then again, I broke them into subsets. And what I, when I broke that out into subsets, I put them all in, in uh, categories and it became 12 categories and it was redeemed, alive, righteous, fruitful, pure, accepted, loved, known, trusted, pleasing, powerful with a purpose. And what I did is I took the first six and that became volume one and that's already out. But now I'm working on volume two that whenever it comes out, it comes out. I don't have a date. I'm not pushing myself for this one. And, but the first session in that is going to be loved. So I've been looking at that. I've been looking at love and going through that. And we're all familiar with, we're all familiar with the First Corinthians thirteen love, right? Each one of us know that it's like love is patient and kind, doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant, right? But what I did is I started looking at some more of the aspects of that, and and what I want to do is just kind of share with you a little bit some of the ones. And this is not a fully exhaustive list; these are just some of the things that God says is is love, right? So. Love is building up, it's patient, it's kind, it rejoices in the truth, right? It, it bears all things, it hopes all things, it's enduring all things, it's never ending, it's abiding, right? Love is the greatest, it surpasses knowledge, it's binding together, it's keeping God's word, it's abiding in the light, right? It's, it's from God, it's, it, it, it's, it's abiding in God, it's casting out fear, covering a multitude of sins, and having and keeping God's commands, right? So... Keeping God's word is genuine. It's fulfilling of the law. That's all what, what love is. And it's more than that even. But, you know, in God himself is love, right? So, but what happened was, as I'm looking at that, it this, this, with, this is my brain again. As I'm looking at all that, this reality hit me then. And if I'm like, hey, wow, if all of that is love, then why is it in the relationships with those we claim to, to love the most we don't see those things the most, right? And, and, and I see this all the time because I've worked with over 7,000 people. I've worked with a lot of people in the last 20 years doing relational mentoring, discipleship, couples coaching, grief coaching, identity coaching. I've worked with a lot of couples and I just see relationally that these things are there. And I'm not gonna fully go into this. And this is actually, this is covered in my identity restoration book, e-course. And I also covered in my new book, Maturing Into Yourself. But I want to let you know, it's like, in my opinion, the reason why we don't see those things played out is because of what I call functional dysfunction. And it's those areas of our heart where we're believing lies and we're self-protecting in fear, shame, and guilt. Those dysfunctions are one of the reasons why we connect with those people we connect with and why we're in relationship with them is because our dysfunctions fit together. There's good reasons, but it's also the dysfunctional mess that causes you to to actually allow that bad behavior that goes on in the relationship to happen. And then it establishes a pattern in your relationships is what that is. And that's, so that's a whole different thing. So that's, that's why we don't see that. 
But when I'm thinking about that, right, I was thinking about that, and I'm looking at that, I'm thinking about the functional dysfunction. The more I looked at the scriptures about love, I, I noticed that I kept coming back to this one scripture. And, and this is 1 John 4, 9 through 12. And, and what the Lord says here is that in this is love, right? In, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that, so that we might live through him, right? And then he says, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, right? So, whew, so if like God so loved us that, that we also ought to love one another is what he says. So this hits me and like no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us, right? So that scripture is the one, for some reason I kept getting pulled back to that one. There's a ton of scriptures, right? Love is a very highly talked about topic in the New Testament. But that scripture just kept coming back to me. I kept getting drawn back to that. And again, just letting you know how things work with me. When I'm reading scripture, what happens is that certain words will pop out. And if you've seen my Bible study, you'll see that what I do is I, there's certain words that pop out in the scripture. And I'll break out what that word is in the Greek or in the Hebrew and what the Strong's definition is. And we'll look at it a little bit deeper and then look at what the Lord's really saying in this scripture. So in, in 1 John 4.10 is, 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 is what really hit me. And it's like, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So a couple words jumped out to me on that one. The first one is, in this is love. And I want to make sure you understand in this, this is not in, in like an NIV paraphrase. Those words are in there, right? In this is love. And so, you know, so in, in, in the word for in is, you know, G1722 N. And then the word for this is G5129 two toe. And then the word for is, is G2076, esti. And then, of course, the word for love is G26, agape. Right? So I'm just letting you know. I'm bringing that out just so you know that's not a paraphrase. In this is love. And then the other piece that jumped out to me is the word propitiation. Right? Now, again, that's not necessarily a big word, but it's not a Right? You know, that's not a word that we use in everyday language. Right? So, so, again, that word jumped out to me, and I just wanted to let you know what that is. That's... That's Strong's G2434, which is a like halosmos, I think it is. So, and what that means, it means propitiation, atonement, expiator, right? And again, so that definition, I'm like, okay, these are words, still just words, words that aren't necessarily just like in our natural lexicon. So what I did is I dug into those, right? And so propitiation, when you look at that in the dictionary, it's the action of propitiating or appeasing a god spirit or person and then so appeasing is to pacify placate relieve or satisfy like a demand or so and then if we look like that's propitiation and then if we look at atonement atonement is the reparation for a wrong an injury or sin right so and then reparation is the making of amends for a wrong one is done by paying money or other otherwise helping out those who have been wrong right and then expiation is the act of making amends or reparation. So they're all kind of the same thing if you look at what that is, right? So so really, if you look at this, propitiation, I wanted to look at that. So propitiation is the action of making amends for guilt or wrongdoing and satisfying any payment due. 
So feel free, like I can just roll, man. If while I'm going, if you have a question or want me to explain something a little better, let me know, brother. But I'll just keep rolling. And and you can always rewatch this because I know I'm on fast forward. I know that. And I'm a little elevated today, just so you know. So it's like I'm I'm on fast forward anyway. So so when you think about that action, we already know what that action was from Jesus, right? Him being our propitiation, we know what the action was. And we know that from many places, but in Romans 5, he talks about this. In Romans 5, 8 through 11, right? He says that God shows us, shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? And since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from his wrath, right? And so, and if, for if while we were, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life, right? So, and then more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, right? So, I want to break that out a little bit. And this, this is, for me, this was fairly big, just so you know. So, it's like, so God's love for us. Right, just just kind of listen to this for a minute. God's love for us is that God joyfully crucified Himself to allow His sacrifice to fully satisfy and appease payment for any sin or wrongdoing against Him, so that we may be reconciled together with Him. Right, He is our propitiation. So, right, and again. Like, when you think about that, I don't know about you, but that one hit me, man. That was a revelation I had never heard. I mean, we kind of, we know the gospel, but when we're really looking at what love is, that hit me. That really hit me. And so God's love for you, I want you to get this. I want you to hear this. God's love for you is that God joyfully crucified himself to allow his sacrifice to satisfy and appease payment for any sin or wrongdoing against him so that you may be reconciled together with him, right? That is God's love for you. And so for my brain, just so you know, I'm looking at that. And then I'm like, for me, that popped up the idea of Romans 8.38 when I looked at that. So it took me right there, right? In Romans 8.38, he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, right? Nor, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's some good news, right? That is good news. So I'm going to let you know. This is God's love. Just expanding that same concept a little bit more. God's love for you is that nothing can separate you from him joyfully crucifying himself and allowing his sacrifice to fully satisfy and appease payment for any sin or wrongdoing against him so that you may be reconciled together with him. Nothing in all creation, right? Think about that. In this is love. That's love. In this is love, right? So, so in that, my mind jumps back to 1 John 4. Right. And you might be going somewhere else to some other scripture. And I would say, hey, do it. Jump on it. Follow wherever it goes. But when I'm thinking about this, it took me back to first John four. And he says, hey, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Right. And then for me, of course, God so loved us. We ought to love one another. That sounds a lot like the great commandment. Right. So so here we are. If we look at, you know, we jumped to Matthew. If we pull the great commandment out of Matthew, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with 
all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, wow. Think about that. Like, okay, so love God, love others, right? So how do we, how do we love like that? How do we love like God? And what does that look like for us, right? Because, so, our love, again, this is, this is my opinion. This is the revelation I got. But he says that, so our love, how we love. What we do is that we love by joyfully crucifying our old dead self and allowing that sacrifice to fully satisfy any payment for any offense or wrongdoing against us so that we can be reconciled together with the offender. In this is love. Just think about that, right? That's not just an ethereal kind of feel-good thing. That's an action. It's an action. In this is love. So, so that makes me think, right? Because I'm sure you probably may already have done that because I'm like, well, well, how do I crucify myself, right? How do I do that, right? Because Jesus is the one who did that. So I want to be clear here and just, just clarify what I'm saying, right? Because when, when we think about being crucified, right? It's like Galatians 5 tells us that I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So again, him giving himself. We've been crucified with him, co-mingled together with him on the cross. Right? Somehow, that's a spiritual truth that I don't fully understand because I don't remember dying on the cross with him, but the word says I did. And by faith, we have been crucified with Christ on the cross. And while I'm doing this and I'm digging into that, it reminded me of when I was teaching on forgiveness and when I was getting a revelation on forgiveness and what it is. One of the issues I had with forgiveness was very similar to the, the crucifying thing because because in Colossians 3.13, I'll, I'll show you. And, and I break out forgiveness. I think it's chapter 7 in my identity restoration book. But I, I challenge you to look at that chapter or it's in the e-course. It's in the identity restoration e-course also. But I break out forgiveness in a way that, that actually will help you understand what it is in a deep-rooted sense so that you're able to forgive and know if you can't forgive, why. So, but in, in the sense of, of the word, it says that, that we should forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive, right? So in the same way, right, in the same way that Jesus forgave us, we must forgive, right? So think about that. As the Lord has forgiven us, we must also forgive. So, whew, right? But again, he forgave us by dying on the cross, right? So you think about that. He, he forgave us by dying on the cross, being crucified on the cross, and raising to new life, right? So, so through the blood of Christ, when we look at what Jesus did for us, through the blood of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are redeemed by the forgiveness of sin. We're justified by the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. We're sanctified by the offering of Jesus Christ. And we're reconciled by his death to be presented to him, holy, sanctified, and blameless. Right? So, wow. There's this dilemma. Right? Could, I, I can't be crucified for you, for your forgiveness. Right? Or can I? 
right? Think about that. Think about that. It's like going back to Galatians. Like, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So there's something about dying to ourselves, right? So we got to look back at that. And that old, that old self, like when, when, especially if we get triggered, right? So when we, again, our love, I want to review that. It's like our love is we love by joyfully, joyfully crucifying our old dead self and allowing that sacrifice to fully satisfy the payment for any offense or wrongdoing against us so that we can be reconciled together, right? And remember, in this is love. So when we look at it in the forgiveness piece, right? Think about this. I want you to think about this. When, when somebody does something to you, right? And what happens? I'm not saying it's wrong or right or whatever. Or you, there's all kinds of ways that we can, you'd have to look into my ministry to understand the fullness of this, of how we trigger into old unresolved trauma. But again, just so you know, any time that you're triggered into fear, shame, or guilt, that's all you. It has nothing to do with what's going on. That's based off of your belief systems and the lies you believe is what happens. So when somebody does something, whether you misunderstood it or they intentionally tried to hurt you, when you actually trigger up and you're in fear, shame, or guilt, and they've sinned against you, they've wronged against you in any way, I'm going to let you know what love is, right? So if somebody sins against me, and I'm triggered up, and I'm angry, and I want justice, and I want them to pay for what they did, you know what love is? Love is crucifying that old, dead, triggered self and letting that sacrifice be the payment for the wrongdoing against me. That's what forgiveness is, and that's what love is. That's what it looks like in this is love. Right? So love and forgiveness are tied together. It's it's the same action, right? It's the same same expression. Right? So us releasing any wrongdoing against us. It's like that same thing, crucifying ourselves so that we can release it. So forgiveness and love, it's the same action. Right? But then again, my mind jumps back to the great commandment. For me, when I'm thinking about that, it jumped back to the great commandment. And just so you know, I'm just walking you through how it all happened for me and where I bounced through the scriptures with this. So we look at the great commandment again he says love god and love others as you love yourself right and i want to point out most of the time that gets perverted into love god love others which that's not what it says it says love god and love others as you love yourself and you miss the love yourself part you will neither love god or others just letting you know that's where one of the problems goes but what does it look like to love God in this perspective of what I just said, right? And just what I just described of in this is love. So how do we love God that way? Because we don't need to crucify ourselves of any wrongdoing for what God did, right? But um, what my opinion, we love God by accepting his sacrifice and allowing ourselves to be crucified together with him. That's how we love him, right? And then how do we love ourselves? Right. And this took me this took me to Second Corinthians a little bit when I look at that. And let me before I talk about like loving ourselves in this way, Second Corinthians five jumped up to me and I'll, I'll read that for you because he says from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave the ministry of reconciliation. Right? That is in Christ God, who was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Right? So again, getting back to loving ourselves and looking at that according to those scriptures and what love is. We love ourselves by allowing our old selves to be crucified with Christ and no longer regard ourselves as that old dead flesh. That's how we love ourselves, by accepting the, the, the gift of Jesus dying on the cross for us, allowing ourselves to be crucified with him, and no longer see ourselves as that old dead self, because it's not who you are. You're a new creation. So that's how you can love yourself. And then if you take that, how do you love others? Same deal. You love others by allowing our old crucified selves to be the payment for any wrongdoing against us and also no longer regarding them as their old dead flesh but realizing that they are no longer who they were that they are a new creation right so what we can do whether they're whether they're a believer or not we can actually whatever the wrongdoing is we can allow our old dead self be the sacrifice for the reconciliation and we can no longer regard anybody that's a new creation as the old dead self. That's how we love them, right? Same way we love ourselves, right? So if we look at it again, to love God and love others as yourself is what it says, right? So we need to accept his sacrifice and be crucified with him to love him, right? Loving ourselves is accepting that we are crucified with Christ raised to new life and no longer regard ourselves in the old flesh and we love others by accepting that our old self was crucified for the payment for any wrongdoing against us by them right same thing so if we go back to the original list right if we go back to the original list of what we looked at of what love looked like so so love is building up remember patient kind rejoicing bearing all things hoping all things never ending abiding it's the greatest surpasses knowledge it's abiding in the light it actually fulfills the law right it covers over sin right so we're not looking at people's sin we're not looking at their wrongdoing we're no longer regarding them that way and what i want you to know is that list is not something you do it's who you are it's who you are in christ when you can accept that your old self has been crucified and you're a new creation, you will naturally express these aspects of your identity. It's not something you're going to have to try to do. You're not going to have to build up some kind of energy and force this so that you can be kind to somebody. You will naturally be kind because you're no longer believing that you're this old wicked self and you're no longer believing and looking at them at who they used to be. You can love them. You can have compassion. And when you can believe who you are in Christ, you will naturally have compassion for the person and see their woundedness instead of seeing the offense against you. And it will naturally happen. And I just want to be clear. I don't walk this out perfectly. I'm not teaching you this from a place of on high where I have I just live this way. That's not what's happening. I still act a fool. I still trigger off. I still get I still get frustrated. I still get angry. I still don't see you as who you are in Christ. I see you as that mess that you just came at me with. That happens. We are all doing it. If you're going to be honest, you're going to know you do it too, right? 
But just know that that's not the love of God. That's not the love of Christ. And the real reason that's happening, we're judging others and we're, you know, we're, we're condemning others is because we don't believe in our own righteous identity in Christ. When we can believe in our own righteous identity in Christ, we don't have to be right, first of all, because we're right in Christ and we don't have to prove we're right about anything. And then we can accept other people's righteousness also, regardless of their behavior. And so I just, and with that though, I want to be clear, even in this place, like this, this is love, right? This is love to be able to let our old self be crucified for reconciliation, right? That we can let that happen and no longer regard other people as that old dead self. But I want you to know that doesn't mean that you have to give full access to everybody everywhere, right? Boundaries are still a part of you loving yourself, right? Honoring other people's boundaries is an aspect of loving them. Honoring and loving yourself, there's an aspect of having boundaries. Jesus had clear boundaries. He had different experiences. He went off on his own. At one point when they were, he was up on the hill and they were wanting to kill him, he just walked right through. He didn't give them full access to himself, right? So I just want you to know that boundaries, your boundaries are based on your capacity and your needs. It is not unloving to establish your boundaries in a relationship based off of your needs and your capacity. Your boundaries are not based on someone else's needs or someone else's capacity. You have to love yourself first so that you can love others and you have to love God of course first which is accepting his love because we love because he first loved us so if we don't receive his love we can't love other people and what will happen is we will manipulate and use other people in an attempt to feel loved and then be frustrated because it never happens right so it has to start with loving yourself and Loving yourself includes no longer regarding yourself as that old sinner. It's not who you are. You're a new creation in Christ. He gave you a new heart. You no longer have a wicked heart. I know that's a teaching that's taught a lot within the church, but it's Old Testament, right? And it's, it's real. It's scripture. It's in the Old Testament, but you don't even have to get to the New Testament to find out what he did with that old wicked heart. He removed that old wicked heart of stone. He gave you a heart of flesh. He gave you his heart. He wrote the laws on that heart, and then he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law on that heart. So your heart is good. It's Jesus's heart. It has all the righteous requirements of the law fulfilled in it, and you can live that truth out, right? So being loving doesn't mean that people have full unrestricted access to you and have the right to abuse you. That's not love. Being abused is not loving somebody else because it's not loving yourself. So you have to love yourself, right? So again, let's just review what God's love is for you. Let's just review it, right? So that God joyfully crucified himself. Think about this. God joyfully crucified himself to allow his sacrifice to satisfy and appease payment for all the sin, all the wrongdoing you've ever done in your entire life. And he allowed that to be the payment so that you can be reconciled together with him. He no longer regards you as your old self. And you no longer need to regard yourself as that old self. You can believe the truth of who you are. The truth of who you are is good. 
You're righteous, you're pure, you're holy, you're accepted, you're loved, you're known. He trusts you, he's pleased with you, and you have a purpose. So, that's the revelation I got, brother. That's it, right there. So, okay. I hope that's helpful, man. And I know oh. that's, I know it's a fire hose of information. That's just how I am, bro. But no. that's it. Hey, you know, I think that, 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 I, my brain is like open. That was so good. Um, so we talked about a little bit of your story, uh, before this, and I, I'm really feel, I feel a connection with it because of my story with the ADHD medications and all that. And I yeah. feel like, I feel like, I feel like it's easy to see other people that we, we see as normal, you know what I mean? And it's easy to get upset and lose that love factor. It's easy mm -hmm. to, it's easy to be like, why, why did God make them like this and me like this? You know what I mean? Um, so how does one manage that in a way? Like how, how do we fix that in ourselves? I'm trying to like, in the sense of like, almost you're talking like jealousy, you're yeah. talking jealousy you know i mean there's there's many aspects to that is what i would say in the sense of again not knowing ourselves is where that jealousy comes from right mm -hmm. so when you don't know who you are you will actually look to other things to find your identity is what mm -hmm. happens right so really it's i know it's this is kind of a a broken record at some point but you knowing who you are in Christ is what is going to allow you to be able to accept yourself. Wow. You know, us not knowing who we are. And believe me, I don't fully know who I am everywhere. And we compartmentalize. That's one of the things that, that I share with people is in one of the aspects of what we do is we compartmentalize areas of unresolved trauma in our heart. And I know we believe the gospel, but like the, like in the scriptures where it says, hey, I believe, help me with my unbelief. All of us have belief and we have unbelief. Mm -hmm. And those areas of our heart where we don't believe the truth of who we are and the truth of who God is, we will have strongholds. And the belief, those selves are the strongholds. I know we like to blame it on demons. Like people use the term demonic strongholds all the time, mm -hmm. but you're not going to find that terminology in the scriptures. It's not demonic strongholds. Those strongholds are the lies that we believe and the positions that we hold that are not true that we defend, right? And so when we're in that place of defending ourselves and we don't believe who we are, when we see somebody else, we're going to be jealous of their gifting. We're going to be jealous of what they have. And basically fame, fame in the church is just lack of faith holistically in the church is what it is. We wouldn't have fame in the church if we walked in faith as in fame like can you go deeper in that uh fame wise what just the famous christians you know we want to be like it ties into that jealousy like i want to be like this prophet or i want to be that prophet i want to have their gifting you know it's like just be okay with your gifting you are gifted mm -hmm. right you are you are powerfully gifted and you're anointed god you know god's gifts and his call are irrevocable he's given it to you and that's one of the things i share with people is that you trying to be someone else you are really terrible at that and that's probably why you feel like a failure is because you're trying to be somebody else i guarantee you you will always fail trying to be someone else mm -hmm. and you will feel like a failure when you're trying to be somebody else but you are the best you god ever created 
there's no other you like you and you can be you and when you when you believe who you are you will do who you are is what i share so it's like faith always manifests itself right so when you believe the truth of who you are you will behave like the truth of who you are and you'll naturally manifest the fruit and the gifts of the spirit right wow that's so that's so deep it's so good though um i love that so let's back up a little bit I'd love to get into your testimony and kind of your journey. I know that, I don't know. I, I know that I, I was like, okay, I'll be transparent with everybody. I've been praying all week for questions for this man right here. Asking Holy Spirit, can you give me some questions? And um, I couldn't find any. I did not receive anything from him, but I did receive testimony. I kept hearing testimony. So Ray, I'd love to hear your testimony and your story, your, your life and how God has changed you. Well, I mean, I'd have to start off back to it. Like I, you know, I'd already mentioned that I, I have the bipolar two patterns in my life and the ADHD patterns in my life. And, and just so you know, for the people that maybe get triggered by me saying that, especially me being an inner healing guy talking about diagnosis, a, a diagnosis like that is just a recognition of patterns. I have a particular issue with the neural pathways in my brain. They don't communicate properly. And so I have patterns that line up with bipolar two disorder. They just, just so that they know what they're talking about. And so with that, I was undiagnosed with that my whole life. I grew up in a, in a pretty abusive, mentally and emotionally abusive environment. Um, you know, my poor mother, she was a narcissistic alcoholic and just, just such a mess. I can have compassion for her now, but I didn't when I was younger, I'll tell you that. I did not because she was the most negative person I ever met in my entire life. And it was rough. It was a rough upbringing. And my dad was more, uh, I, I don't even know, I maybe depressed, but he was disconnected and aloof. Nice guy, just not involved. And, and he kind of just let my mother be the abusive mess she was. And she didn't like, he didn't protect us. So I grew up at an early age starting to numb myself, right? Whatever way I could. And I don't need to glorify all that, but I just would numb myself in whatever way I could growing up. Very confused little boy growing up. I didn't understand things. I didn't. And I believe I was prophetically gifted um, during that time. So things just didn't make sense to me. You know, I was picking up spiritual information, but it didn't line up with what's going on. So I was just very confused. And by the time I was 15, that was when I first tried to kill myself. I had a girlfriend at that time that was actually the only good positive thing in my life, really. And she broke up with me. And, you know, when you're young, you're kind of stupid. You have no idea that the world is so big. You're in the very moment of life is all there is. So so I, I, I literally, it wasn't a simple attempt. I actually tried to kill myself. I tried to overdose. And, um, and it didn't work, right? You know, so... So and I was so messed up from the overdose the next day. My parents were like, like, what's wrong with you? What's going on? And I actually told them I tried to kill myself. I, I wouldn't have told them if I wouldn't have been all drugged up from the meds. But so they took me to get checked out to make sure I was OK. But just to show you how messed up it was, I never went to a counselor about that. Never was taken to a counselor. I was taken to a physical doctor to get checked out to make sure I was OK. And then actually it was just used against me at that. It was used against me to shame me and to to manipulate me that the idea that i had or the concept that i had killed myself or tried to kill myself so so that that's just kind of the environment i grew up in so during that time i was still numbing myself i was still doing whatever i could um and around 
I kind of changed my ways a little bit around 22. Still didn't know the Lord. Grew up just not even believing in anything. I didn't believe there was a God. Didn't believe there was a devil. It was all meaningless. Neither one of them would help me. You know, I, I had asked a couple times, never got any help that I was aware of, right, when I was a kid. So it's just check that off. That's just bogus. So when I was around 22, I stopped some of the ways that I was numbing myself. And when I was 23, I, I met my wife and um, we, we dated for a while. She got pregnant. We lived together for a year before we got married. And then we ended up having another child. So when our daughter was six or when our daughter was five, we, we had our son. And then when she was six and, and our son was one, is when roughly that was when Catherine came to faith first and she had a radical transformation of faith and uh, she came to know Jesus and I just wanted nothing to do with it because I know people who went to church they had nothing I wanted I didn't care you can do that if you need that crutch but it's got nothing for me and so that was what I was experiencing but I remember at one point at one point just because of what was going on with her I had a moment where I like had you know you can call it a prayer if you want but I was like it's like God if you're real make yourself known to me and if you're not i'm just talking to myself and that was it that was literally it maybe a couple weeks i don't time stamp really well it's part of my issues i don't i don't do time well um but not far from that um i went into a vision and this was my first major vision i went into most of the revelation i get is from visions studying scripture but that's that was my first major revelation uh revelation that happened, I went into this vision that was almost a trance because it was like me and you talking, you know? It was actually more than me and you talking because you're on the other side of the screen. I was experiencing it like I was talking to somebody in the room. So I'm in my I'm in my my dad's old office in this vision. I just boom, pop in there and I'm, I'm in his old office that was in the basement of our house. He was a lawyer and he had an office in the basement of the house. And so so with that, I'm standing at the doorway in that office, and the, the office is completely empty, and there's a fireplace on the wall. And there was no fireplace in his actual office. So here in the vision, there's a fireplace, and I'm standing there, and I'm like in real life experiencing this, and I don't know what's going on. and It just doesn't make sense to me. And then I'm looking at the fire in the fireplace, and then what happens is the fire starts coming out of the fireplace a little bit. And then it's almost like the 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 fire starts becoming like fingers and it almost like becomes a hand and it's coming at me across the room and there's this hand of fire reaching out for me and right at that moment I don't even really know how I knew how to do this but I called out to Jesus at that moment because I that made sense to me at that moment you know I'd heard the gospel I never I just discounted it all to that point but it all came clear to me at that moment and when I called out to Jesus he entered into that vision from the right-hand side, and he came in, and his light just kind of enveloped the whole vision. And once his light enveloped the whole vision, boom, I popped out of the vision, and I was in my bedroom, which is in the exact same space I was when I, when I challenged him to reveal himself to me a little while ago. So I was right there in that moment. And so then things changed, right? I was different. Still a total mess, but, you know, I wasn't... I wasn't at the level of mess I was. I was on a journey. I had massive transformation. My dyslexia got healed. I could read after that. You know, I started doing things that, that were just different. I joined joined a church. We joined a church. I joined Campus Crusade for Christ because I had a heart to make a change. We were on it, man. We were with Campus Crusade for 
for I think eight years. We were with them with a ministry called Life Builders, doing relationship, relational discipleship and mentoring. And then what happened then? While I was while I was with Campus Crusade, I was on staff with the church. I was a missionary with Campus Crusade. My daughter was 15 years old, which was the same age when I tried to kill myself. And she had been homeschooled and wanted to go back to public school. And when you go back, you know, as we did the before school thing where you go in and you meet the teachers and, and all that good stuff. And I just, I was, I was in that experience, which, you know, you can well imagine those years were rough for me. And I just kind of reconnected with the idea of like, I was like, wow, it wouldn't have been that difficult for my parents to be involved in my life. Because they didn't do anything stuff like that. You know, I just kind of was on my own. Went to school. I still, to be honest with you, I still remember the first day of kindergarten. Because it was never explained to me what was going on. I still just like it's a trauma memory. I was on a bus and I had no idea why. And I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what was happening. And just other people, other my friends are on there. You know, I mean, I had no idea what was going on and why it was happening. So there wasn't a whole lot of information I got as a kid. You know, and so and there wasn't a whole lot of involvement in my life. And so I just remember that thought like, wow, it wouldn't have been that difficult for them to be involved in my life. And that thought slowly turned into resentment and anger over the next couple of days. And then what happened? Something broke open in me and the emotions started pouring out like almost at the level of intensity of like intense shock. Each, each emotion would just flow through my body at like a chemical explosion. And I went into a full depression. I could barely, it was my first major depression that I went through and I couldn't even think clearly. And at that point, that's when a friend of mine that I, I shared the information with recommended I pray with a friend of his. And that started me down the inner healing path. And I had an encounter who I'm, it's a gentleman I'm friends with now, but Tripp, who walked me through an encounter with Jesus, I got healed. I came out of that depression. I was never the same again. I still have depression because of the bipolar stuff, and I still loop, but never like that. Never went that deep again. And so that, I was like, on the way home, I still remember that. I was like, hey, if I can be healed, anybody can be healed. And so... I started pursuing that and I started looking it up and it was like he used a model from pastoral care ministries from Leanne Payne. I started looking into that. I started reading all kinds of stuff. I eventually got connected with with uh, Bethel Sozo and I got connected with Donna and started getting trained in that. And then I became friends with her and then she invited us to be on staff at Bethel and we moved to we moved to Reading and we were on staff for seven or eight years. I remember seven years and um I'm, well, actually, I'm still on staff, almost 10 years, but we lived in Reading for almost seven years. Let me get that clear. So then we moved back here um, in May of 20 after, you know, I, and I, I'd mentioned it to you, Tristan, but I didn't, I didn't share it here. Is our house burned down in one of the wildfires uh, in California four years ago, and that triggered me up. Man, that triggered me up in a way I had not experienced before, and all my tools weren't working. And my moods were out of swing, and it was ruining my marriage. And eventually, my wife said, "Hey, you need to you need to get this checked out." And when I went in to get it checked out, that's when I found out that I have bipolar two patterns and ADHD patterns that, and potentially on the spectrum too, with what I have going on. And so, um, and here I am, man. I use what I've learned to help other people. 
interesting is kind of how I love how transparent and open you are with that it, because I I'm gonna be that way I'm, I feel like I should you know this is on here um y'all I I went through a really bad depression ADHD growing up I um it's hard to talk about I I had a lot of um different medications thrown my way that people thought would help me and it, it didn't help me. It, it, it feel like it made me worse. You know, um, I, I stepped away from Christ. Like I grew up with my parents, like they introduced me to the church, all this stuff. Um, I had, I saw in the spirit when I was younger, then I started to hit this really bad, um, ADHD time between like 13 through 14, 15, 16, 17, <laughs> like the whole time, you know, it's like everything got triggered up. And then I started taking the meds um, I tried taking my life. I've been there, you know? Um, and as soon as like I turned 18, I went through a big problem in my life that changed everything. I, I, it caused me to have to surrender to God. You know, I was just like, I was at this moment where it was either choose him or die. You know, it's like, like, that's where I was at. And I tell people this all the time. I'm like, um, I was telling my niece the other day, I was like, you have a choice to choose him or choose your sin nature, you know, and I had, I had a choice there. And as soon as I chose him and started to pursue him, I knew that he had a call in my life. And I was like, okay, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know what the call was. I knew he had a call and I was like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm gonna follow you. And I abandoned the meds, stopped taking meds. Um, I haven't gone back to any medication. And, um, I remember, uh, I think it was two years ago now. It, it was Randy Clark. It was, it was about a year ago, Randy Clark in February. He was at, um, he was on, we had an online thing, but he had, there was a uh, conference in, in Reading and Randy Clark is talking about healings and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. This whole week was just like mind blowing. I saw someone's eye grow back in a video in Brazil. I was like, whoa. And then I asked God, I said, why can't I read? I was like, why can't I read? Why can't I get in my book? Why is it so hard for me even to read a chapter a day of the Bible? Like, what is this about Lord? And I was like, can you please, um, I've shared this on here. I was like, can you please bless me? Like, give me the ability to read. I want to know more about you. And um, ever since then, I've been reading books, the Bible, like crazy. I mean, nice. different translations. And I feel like I'm. he's given me a new focus. Um, I still have the the whole, you know, we were just talking like there's different boxes. And I feel like my brain wants to be in all of them. But mm -hmm. But when it comes to him, I'm so focused on him, you know, it's like a hyper focus mm -hmm. anything for you, God, you know? Um, but I haven't had any depression. I've, I've just been, I've been living on mission, you know? Um, but I just like, I love how open and transparent you were. And it just kind of urged me to be that way. And I think that, um, everybody should feel safe to do that. Um, so I wanted to ask you as, as someone who's counseled pastors, um, and things like that. Is that something you would recommend as leadership to be open and transparent, like in communication? Was? Yeah, I mean, you always, you know, there's always the recommendation of like, beware of, be aware, not beware, but be aware of your audience. You know, who are you talking to? And by the way, before that, before I answer that question, being aware of our audience, both you and I just talked about suicide. And there is a new suicide prevention, like wellness number, where you can dial 988. If you have an issue, if you're thinking about taking your life, there are people who care about you and will help you. It is not the right choice. It is not the right answer. Mm -hmm. And 
988 is the new number you can call. There's there's professionals that will talk to you that are trained to be able to speak to you. But but with that, now jumping to, you know, that's probably the biggest thing that we're missing in the church is authenticity. And like, you know, I don't I don't want to beat up the church. I don't. But it's like what I see. Like. What I see represented as vulnerability and authenticity is a, someone that's up there teaching from the audience and they're, you know, from the, uh, the pastor teaching up front and, and they share an issue, right? They have this issue and, and to connect with it, they'll share back when they were in college or in their childhood, they had that issue. And so like, like somehow that's vulnerability, but, but really not. You know what I mean? It's like they're not going to really share with you. I very rarely see someone sharing what's going on right now, you know, because when I speak, I'll share because there's there's times I'm a complete failure, like mood wise. Like, I mean, I have a pretty successful ministry. I have international ministry, wrote five books. I mean, I, I prayed, worked with over 7000 people. I have testimonies that are just unreal. But I'll still be a total failure is what I'll feel like. Right. And so when I'm speaking from a place and I feel that way, I will share that, that that's what I'm dealing with right now. I know it's not true, but that's where I'm at. That's what's going on in me. And that's what I'm having to battle while I'm speaking. I'm not there today. I'm actually elevated. Like I told you, that's why, you know, it's like I'm in an elevated state, which I always like better than the depression and the failures. But. I have to work through that and know, hey, this isn't real. This isn't going on. This is actually just my brain not communicating properly, and I'm stuck. My dial gets stuck is what I happen. But me being able to share from that place, I've seen hundreds of people set free just from that, just from me being honest. Hundreds of people being set free and hundreds of people being able to actually say, oh, wow, I do have an issue, and it's not sin, and it's not a lack of faith to find out what the issue is. You know, people are out there teaching, you know, it's like denial is being faith. I'm like, my gosh, the denial is denial. It's not faith. Denial is fear to face what's actually happening. That is not faith. If you're having something you're struggling with, your struggle is not your identity. And it's the lack of faith that makes you think it is. And you can be healed of that, that lie. And, you know, miracles happen and you can be healed of the issue you have. But wow, if the leaders could be vulnerable that'd be amazing but one of the problems is we've created these structures over time where if the leader is vulnerable we're getting rid of them right because then they're not qualified to lead so they have to do their stuff in secret until it breaks down and causes a problem and ruins their ministry or ruins their marriage or causes them to kill themselves which we've seen right so that secrecy that issue and that lack of vulnerability culturally in the church is part of the problem. I guess that's kind of where love comes in. You know, um, we have to establish kind of a culture of love and acceptance where we can accept them when when they need to confess like that, you know, and um, I've, what, what we're doing with this ministry, my ministry, um, what I've felt God lead me to do is to um, create home groups, things like that, where uh, it's no longer the structure where we're putting one man between us and God, uh, yeah. but more of where we're putting God back. We're there, where we all can have communion with him, you know? 
um, I see that that's the structure the Lord's giving me to run with. And but there's more to it, you know, like that we're building, but, but like, like, okay, it's interesting. You brought up the pastor has a hard time to do that because uh, we just recorded the session, the third session for the school. And Pep was talking about, um, he had at one point had to be transparent with the congregation. Cause he was in this moment where he, he like fell um, to sin or whatever, or something like that. And he, his eldership, he told them everything. And they said, if you go out on the stage and you tell them that they're going to hate you. He went out there, he was open with them, told them everything he's struggling with. And he went back to his office. He had people knock on his door, say, Pep, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Yeah. And they, and then they come and they talk. Exactly. It changes everything if there's yeah. real vulnerability. Exactly. And so it allowed people to connect with him on a level that he had never, um, mm -hmm. was never able to connect with, you know? Um, I think that's beautiful. And I think that's, that's how God kind of designed it, how he wants it. Mm -hmm. to, you know, um, I see, I've seen, I've seen the failure of when we put a man on the pedestal and expect him not to fail. I've seen, I've mm -hmm. seen the fall of that in some ministries I've worked with so far, you know, um, because it, it disconnects us from connection, like from community, mm -hmm. because it's like you come to the church and you leave with questions, you know, like, like, okay, how do I do this? So you look to a book or something, but what we're looking for is like this. Um, the reason why I did this podcast with Q and a, was because a lot of the time people go to church, they hear the pastor speak, and then they leave the church with questions and the pastor goes to their green room. Um, and and, you, and they never are able to ask that, which I understand like if there's a large congregation, yeah. things it like that. It becomes difficult yeah. structurally at some point, yeah. Exactly. So, but that's why I like this because this is kind of an intimate one-on-one. -on -one. We can have the Q&A, you can ask the questions. That's why I have Holy Spirit given. Eventually I'll have people ask as well with Holy Spirit, but um, I just, I don't want anybody to not feel like they can't be transparent and open about mm -hmm. things like, cause we all are going to fall short, you know, like, but it's a matter of picking up our cross and repenting of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so how, how, how do we change that in your mind? Like, how do we make it to where, um, we don't put people on a pedestal like that, but we can still respect them, you know? You know, I mean, it starts with you just loving yourself again. It doesn't it doesn't change. You know, we put other people on a pedestal because we don't believe in ourselves. You know, if again, if we can actually believe and accept ourselves, you know, as that we're a new creation, that we're loved, we're accepted, all those things. If we can we can know that actually my heart is good. You know, I mean, it's almost like, wow, that's pretty. uh that's pretty boastful of you, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's like, but you think about it. If I'm like, if I'm not accepting that I'm glorious and I'm amazing, I'm moving in self-righteousness, right? Because it's God's blood. It's Jesus's blood that makes me glorious. Because we're moving, we're moving through life from glory to glory, which means we are glorious, right? So, and God thinks we're amazing. He sees us as the new creature, as, as his children right so all the good stuff that's who we are and when we can believe that we're not self-focused right but when that's just it and if you can't believe that and you can't accept that that you're amazing that you're loved that that god trusts you and he's pleased with you what will happen is then 
you have to look to somebody else. And that's what we do. That's actually the strongholds, the arguments, and the lofty opinions, right? Again, I have a whole teaching on that that, that goes on. The arguments are what we use to defend our position, how we attack people. But then the lofty opinions are those false idols that we look to to get value from because we don't believe in our value in God. You know, and so we have the divine power to tear all that down. The strongholds, the arguments, the lofty opinions, nothing of that has to do with the demonic. It's all us. It's all our lies. It's all our self-protection. It's all our false idols, which then does bring in the demonic, right? Because basically the way I, I, I describe it is those strongholds, they're not demonic strongholds. They're actually Airbnb, like, you know, vacation centers for the demons that we created. So there's demons there. But we created that stronghold and we invite the demonic and we actually host them is what that is. So it's not their stronghold. It's our stronghold that we're managing. That's interesting. That's super interesting. Um, so let's kind of go into that. So the, the demonic, they take territories, right? So is that that how do are we called to take that back from them in a way? Well, it's like, you know, I mean, we are, you know, it's like pursue, overtake and recover all, you know, the enemy's a thief and a liar. He's he's that's basically what he does is he tries to steal, kill and destroy. Right. And he's trying to steal our identity. He's trying to kill our authority and he's trying to destroy our community. So but the thing is, we're, we're not meant like, you know, I mean, I know we're in. The sense that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but it's against spirits and principalities. But that's all faith, man. Mm. I'm telling you, I work with people. It's that's I, I work with some of the most intense people, some of the most intelligent, highly creative, most wounded people in the world, and even the people that think they're demonically oppressed. Right now, their demons are real, but most of the time, I'll tell you, most of the time when I'm dealing with people that get referred to me that have been trying to get deliverance for years and years, I've had somebody. That came to me that had been pursuing deliverance from de demons for 12 years, man. 12 years went from every famous demonic deliverance person and then eventually got referred to me. And I had to, took me a whole session of communicating to them that maybe this isn't a demon. They thought I was a heretic, you know, because of it. They thought I was, they thought I was like this crazy heretic because I'm like saying, hey, maybe this is something else. Let's get Jesus involved and find out. So, they eventually agreed to have a session with me. We did a coaching session, went through, and then we actually able we were able to connect with that younger area of his heart that was abused, and he created a self protection that looked demonic to protect himself and scare people away from him that were abusing him. So now now that he was older, it was still manifesting just because any time that he got scared as that scared little boy, it would manifest. And so it looked demonic, but it wasn't. It was a self-protection. Now, there's demons there, right? Do you see what I mean? There's everywhere we're believing a lie. We have a self-protection managing that relationship with the demonic. But the demonic, most of the time, what I share with people, demons are real and they are a problem, but they are not the real problem. The lie you believe is the problem. And that's what gives the demons authority in your life. And I'll work with people. And as soon as we find the lie that's going on in that, I'll see the demons run away. I've seen it. Actually, I've seen it in in uh, in real life six times. I've seen it in the natural six times. It was pretty freaky the first time I saw it. Usually, I'll see demonic stuff in in the spirit, 
but there's like six times where I actually saw it in the natural. And I'm not a seer in the sense of those people that are really prophetically gifted. I'm prophetically gifted in knowing. I will just know the information. I don't necessarily see something or I don't necessarily feel it before I get the information. It's just, it's almost like the not, I just know it and I don't know why. Um, so I'm a prophetic knower, but I do see sometimes and I've seen demons run without ever casting them out. You know what I mean? It's like, just find the lie. It knows it's done. And then when they can break agreement, that thing runs. And then I always just make sure, I always ask Holy Spirit to clean up and get rid of anything. But I don't personally go after demons. I, I help the person find out what is the agreement. Because the enemy has no authority over your life unless you're in agreement with him. The enemy has no authority over your life unless you're in agreement with him. That's a quote right there. Um, like Chris Valadin says, fear is faith in the wrong God. But... Mm -hmm. Like that, that's something. So that a lie could be fear, but I had, I heard someone say the other day that fear, fear is a motivator, right? Um, which, which is that, how do we manage that? Because, um, that, that could be the enemy, like giving us fear of, Hey, don't, don't do that. But at the same time, like fear of failure or feel fear of, or mm -hmm. fear of, if I don't get this done, this will happen, you know? Well, the way, the way I see it, um, and again, I do break this out in my resources in the Identity Restoration book. The way, the way that I see it is like in the garden, when the enemy came and lied to Adam and Eve, right, is what, what happened. We're, we're all familiar with that at some level. The enemy came in, lied to Adam and Eve. And what happened there, when they believed the lie, they ate of the fruit, right? So my opinion, eating the fruit was not the real problem in the garden. Them believing the lie of the enemy was the real problem. That's the real sin. And if you look at everything Jesus talks about, it goes to faith. It goes to belief, right? It goes to what's going on in the heart. It's never behavior with Jesus. It's always getting to the real issue, which is what are you believing? And so the real issue in the garden is when Adam and Eve believed the lie of the enemy. And they would have never eaten the fruit if they didn't believe the lie. So, so the fruit, there's always fruit of the sin, right? That, that fruit is sinfulness, but it's not the core sin. The lie you believe is the actual sin. And that's why what happens a lot of times is what we will do is we'll try to manage our behavior thinking we're dealing with sin and we're not. We're just dealing in unbelief because anytime you're trying to manage your behavior instead of get to the issue, it is unbelief and it's not faith. But what also happened when they, when they ate of the fruit, they started self-protecting. That's when they self-protected in their own effort. They hid from God in fear. They covered themselves in shame, and they blamed each other in guilt. And so we know that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But the kingdom of the world is fear, shame, and guilt in your own effort. So fear is a manifestation of a lie in the area of our heart where we're meant to manifest peace. And if the enemy can get you to believe a lie about your authority and, and the area where you're meant to manifest peace, you will manifest fear. And so that's what I believe fear is. So fear is not a liar. Now, there can be a demonic spirit of fear. That's a different situation. And again, that's over my head. I don't know the categories of demons and all, and I don't care. You know, I focus on Jesus, you know, but there can be a demonic spirit of fear. But that's what I tell people. Your heart is never lying to you. Your emotions are never lying to you. That's a common lie that people believe. Your emotions are never lying to you. 
your emotions are always just telling you what you feel. So if you're feeling afraid, that's literally just information. That is not lying to you. You are actually feeling afraid. What's lying to you is your mind, the beliefs, the thoughts you have. Because there is a belief system you have that's manifesting the fear, right? So the fear is just information. I'm afraid, right? That's all it is. Now what happens is we will, what we'll do is we will project that on to a situation based off of the lie we believe and our fear will mean this right that this is happening or this is going to happen so it's not our emotions that are lying to us it's never our heart our heart our emotions aren't lying to us it's our thoughts it's our belief systems that are lying to us and when we can get that in alignment with the truth then our emotions will line up with the truth wow all right well, Ray, this has been incredible, man. Um, I believe that a lot of people are going to receive something out of this. Um, and I would love for you to pray over anybody struggling with depression, struggling with mm -hmm. um, mental illness, or um, like anybody who just feels disqualified because of their mental illness. Like you're an example that nothing, we both are, that uh, ADHD, bipolarness, anything like that can't stop God's purpose on your life. You know what I mean? Um, so I'd love for you to just impart what you have. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to encourage people first and then I'll do that. It's like, cause just like you mentioned, I mean, I couldn't read growing up. Mm -hmm. I was dyslexic. I couldn't read. I cheated my way through school. I barely graduated. I cheated just enough to graduate, you know? And, and so I didn't know how to read properly. I, I memorized words. I didn't learn how to spell, you know? And so I still have a little trouble with reading cause he didn't backfill, you know, but but I can read now. And so with that, again, I've, I've written five books. I'm working on six. I'm like, I, I get the opportunity to travel and speak places and watch God heal people, you know. So your your struggle is not your identity, right? So it's like you can still do what God called you to do. And maybe, yeah, like if we're going to look at other, maybe other people do have it a little bit easier. If you have a mental illness, yeah, it's a little bit more work for you. It is. I don't always like the fact that it's a little bit more work for me, but you can still do it. You still have the gifting. You still have the calling. You can still operate in it and miracles happen. You can be healed of it too, but if you're not keep pressing on. So, so Lord, I, I do. I just want to speak to everybody's heart and mind that's listening, regardless of what you think is holding you back, that you, you are gifted. You are called, you are loved and Jesus Everywhere that there isn't hope, it's like I really get a sense of people being hopeless in areas of their life because of their struggle, because they've tried and they haven't seen it. And Lord, I, I just pray that anywhere that there's hopelessness and anywhere that people have tried to be like other people, Jesus, I, I just ask that you would give them the ability to know themselves, to actually do life as themselves, to know who they are, to know who you are and to be able to manifest the truth of who they are in life. And anybody that's struggling with suicidal thoughts, I just speak life and I speak hope into them. I just I just speak the inspiration of hope and life into anybody that's having suicidal thoughts and anybody that's depressed. And I just want you to know that, hey, just all the cultural influences from the church and from the world that try to shame you because of you dealing with biological disorders or mental illness, I just pray that, that yeah, you would, you would have hope and just kind of 
even if it helps you, come check out my Instagram or my page to see that, hey, people that don't have it all together can still, can still actually do what God called them to do. You can do it. And I just speak life into you, power, hope, and just anointing. Anything I have that will bless you, I gladly release in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for watching. I hope this podcast changed your life today. If it did, put in the comments. Tell us what you learned, how it helped you. Put amen in the comments. Let's just blow this up and share this with a friend. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. I love you guys. See you next week.